0: Amen. Amen. Father, we thank you so much. We've come to worship you because you are God. Not because of what you give us, just because you are God. There is none like you. Today we pay obeisance to you. We bow our knees to you bless your holy name, be magnified, be glorified. We thank you for the gathering of your people that is always unto you, and we pray that the entrance of your word today will bring light and understanding to us. Help us, grant your servant grace that your word will come expressly. They will bring understanding and enlightenment to us. We'll leave this place better than we came in. All these we have asked in your son Jesus' name and everyone say, amen. Hallelujah. I think the Lord deserves a hand in this place, amen. from Sri Lanka, Pastor Sharon and Pastor Bank, And welcome to church. (laughs) Uh, I'm here to share the word of God with us very briefly on the subject uh, we'll call the power of covenants. The power of covenants. Uh, This will be a series of teachings, and we'll take our time and go through the Word of God and hear what God has to say on the subject of covenants. How many of us have heard about covenants before? Uh, it's, it's, it's a very common word, but it has a very important theological meaning and underpinnings. Uh, covenants are very powerful. In fact, it's almost one of the most important theological words you can ever find in the Bible. It is so important that the entire Bible, Old and New Testament, is redundant with this motif of covenant. It is so dominant that the Old and the New Testament are also called the Old and New Covenants. So, we're going to have fun. If you believe that, just give a lot of hand in this place. Amen. Right. We're going to start with a basic definition of covenants. Uh, covenants are just agreements. It's an agreement between two or more people. That is... A granular definition. The very fundamental and basic definition of covenants. Now, depending on who the characters in the covenant are or is, then covenants will take on a whole new meaning altogether. Amen? This subject of covenant, I want you to open your spirit up and, and just hear what the Lord has to tell you over the next few weeks concerning this subject. It is so powerful that it has the ability to change your life. You would not be sitting here were it not for a covenant. I learned very earlier on in my young Christian work many, many decades ago, literally decades ago, about the covenant, the power of covenants. I can give you testimony after testimony about the power of covenant in my own life. I'll start with just one. And as we go along during these series of teachings, I'm sure you'll be hearing a lot more. You cannot be, for those of us that grew up in Africa and within the scripture union system, You, you cannot be an effective intercessor if you do not understand covenants. If you do not understand gates. If you do not understand altars. These are all motifs that is entrenched within the pages of Holy Scripture. About twenty one, twenty two years ago, I was invited to conduct a gospel meeting in Panama City, Florida. It was a weekend program, Friday, Saturday. I spoke in church on Sunday and then I was back here. A friend of mine by the name of Robert, he and I were in Scripture Union in Ghana together. He was in Moody Bible Institute at the time. He had come to visit me. So I drove with him to Florida. And after the meeting, on our way driving back to Atlanta, the host of the program uh, said, if you do not mind, my parents have a piece of land they've been trying to sell for a long time. I had just shared on altars throughout the conference. And he said, I'd like for you to just pray with us. In fact, we had passed the place. We were literally on our way heading back to Georgia. And so we had to make a U-turn and we went to their place. Gorgeous piece of property, gorgeous. Very strategically located, commercially zoned. People will come, Walmart had come, all kinds of people have come to try to buy the land, but they will go through everything just when they're about to close, then they'll fall through. So they knew for certainty that something was not right. So we got there. They told me the story, and I said, let's pray. So, we just prayed. I prayed, and I said, Father, I bring this land into a covenant with you. I set up the altar of God in this place. Your people that are in dire need of this property closing, may the covenant of God speak on their behalf. In Jesus' name, amen. That was my prayer, literally. And then I told them that within 24 hours, the property was going to sell for 10 times more than they were looking for. Now, I don't know why I said that. I I was not smoking something for sure, but I must have been under the influence of something. Because having practiced real estate, I know it does not work like that. How about by the time we go to Atlanta, we used to have landlines then. Cell phones were not too prevalent. I saw my answer machine beeping. It was lighting up. I played the message, and they had left a a voice mail for me in awe and shock of what God had done, literally hours. The people, one of the people who had come and gone, not long after we had prayed and left, about two hours later, came, made them a new offer ten times more to close the next day. <clears throat> what ensued is, is something that is, uh, anyway, the amount was so big that where they go to church, their pastor, one of the big men in this country, if I mention his name, you will know him. The biggest church in Panama City. He was conducting a gospel meeting for one of the biggest men of God here in Atlanta. You know him too. When he heard that the property had closed because he was aware of the property, he took his private jet and went back to Florida to collect his tithe. That's how massive it was. I'm not joking. You know, the Bible says, do not muzzle the ox that threads the corn, you know. I did not get a dime, (laughs) okay. But my friend Robert, they paid his tuition all the way through college, and that is fine. 13 years later, some things happen again. And so please, open up your spirit to this concept of covenants. We shall talk more about it. Types of covenants. We can have a covenant between man and man, in which case we call it a parity covenant. When a covenant is between a man and a man. An example will be David and Jonathan, and we shall go into that in greater details later on. Or you can have a covenant between God and man. When a covenant is between a man and a man, what you're saying is you and I are entering into some form of agreement, parity. I will bring something to the table, and you will also bring something to the table. It wasn't long ago the previous uh, president got in trouble because he was accused of doing something with Ukraine, and they called it quid pro Quote, if you do this for me, I'll do that for you. That was a covenant. That type of covenant is also a bilateral covenant. So it is between two parties. I will do this and you will do that. You contribute this, I'll contribute that. Not so with the second type. The second type which is between God and man is known as suzerain covenant. In suzerain covenant, a superior person who is the sole benefactor enters into an agreement with an inferior person, quote-unquote inferior, or a lower person. He confers benevolence on that person. And the recipient, who is called the VASAL, V-A-S-S-A-L, do not have to do anything. That type of covenant is a unilateral covenant. It's unilateral. It is 100% based on the benevolence of the suzerain or the superior partner of the covenant. That is the type of covenant that God has with us. In fact, when you think about God, the bigness of God, the goodness of God, The superiority of God. It is so massive for God to condescend to have a covenant with us. It is so wonderful that the psalmist trying to understand why God would even want to relate with man. In Psalm 8, he said, Oh Lord, our Lord, how majestic! it's your name in all the earth. When I consider the heavens and it goes into all this array of magnificent things that God has done, then he says, what is this man at all? That you, a suzerain, would want to have a covenant with him. What is man? In Asking that question, he first of all goes into elevating God to the status he knows he belongs. There are two Hebrew names that the Jews do not play with. In fact, one of them, they hardly mention, Yahweh. It is so arcane that Gentiles were not even supposed to mention it. So it is all consonants. Y-H-V-H. Try to mention that. Yahweh means the self-existing one. The second name will be Adonai, which means the sovereign one. David, in trying to inquest about why God, the sovereign, would want to have a covenant with man, used both of these names At the same time, in verse 1 alone. Oh, Yahweh our Adonai. How majestic is your name? He's trying to get to the place where he wants to ask that question. But before he does, he's just expressing how big God is. Yahweh our Adonai. What is this man that thou art mindful of him? You know, covenants existed before we even got here. And that's what makes it so powerful. Within the framework of redemptive history, there are three kinds of covenants. There is the covenant of redemption. There is the covenant of works. And then there is the covenant of grace. this covenant of redemption it is an intra trinitarian type of covenant it is a covenant that existed among the godhead to appoint the son as the mediator for the redemption of mankind And this existed before you and I were even created. Before Adam was created. So when you read scriptures like the lamb that was slain from before the foundations of the earth. You read scriptures like Ephesians 1-4 where Paul will say that we were redeemed in him before the foundations of time. You read scriptures... Listen to Christ himself, Luke twenty two twenty nine, 29. Luke twenty two twenty nine. 29, I think the King James says that, and just as my Father has appointed me a kingdom, I also appoint to you a kingdom. But when you look at that scripture from the Weymouth translation, it says, just as my Father has covenanted to me a kingdom, I also covenant the kingdom to you. So, the kingdom, the, the, the covenant of redemption is an intra Trinitarian covenant that existed among the Godhead, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, to appoint the Son as the mediator for man. Does it make sense? So, that brings us to what we call the causes of our redemption or salvation. The Father becomes the primitive cause. The Son now is the sacrificial cause. And the Holy Spirit is the revealing cause. Are you with me? It is an intra-Trinitarian covenant. By the way, when we say the Son, God the Father, God the Son. God the Son, when you look at it from that perspective, you might be tempted to think he is not God because how can a father be the same as the Son? The term Son of God is the incarnation description of Christ. Within the Trinity, he is not the Son. First, John 5, 7. There are three that bears witness in heaven. Father, Word, and the Holy Spirit. So when you say the Son, it is an incarnation title. And that is why the our friends in the Watchtower Society, sometimes they're very laughable to me. I love engaging them. The only problem is that when we meet once, they never come back again. I remember one knocked on my gate in Ghana. We had a conversation. Halfway through the conversation, he said, you know, my, my elder is around the corner. I want to go and get him, and we will come back. They never did. I look forward to it. But how can you tell me that the son is not God? When God himself calls him God, and you have a problem with it. Hebrews 1.8. And to the Son, he said. Who said? God. What did he say? Thy throne, O God. <laughs> so God calls the Son God. And you, a human being, you have a problem. of 1 Timothy 3.16 and without controversy great is the mystery of godliness that God is made manifested in the how about Colossians for in him dwelleth the fullness of the Godhead alright let's move on so that is the covenant of redemption covenant of works The covenant of works, when God created man, Adam, and subsequently, all the progeny of Adam, all of us were in Adam when he was created. God made a covenant with uh, with Adam and said there is a particular tree you shall not eat of. When you eat of this tree, there will be consequences. In other words, when God placed man in the garden, he put him in a probation situation where the actions of man was going to determine what the outcome of his future would be. If you obey, you live in eternal bliss. If you disobey, then subsequently there will be penalties. Adam disobeyed, and consequently, all of us. So, he did not follow through with the covenant of works. What was the covenant of works? You are not supposed to do this. Later on, I'll prove to you that was a covenant, because what is a covenant? Covenant is not only when you catch yourself. Covenant is when God speaks, when God issues a decree, when God promises you it is a covenant. So that's the covenant of works. So in the covenant of works, man who was put in a probation period disobeyed God. And so in Genesis 2:15 to 17, he says, and the Lord God took man put him into the garden of Eden to dress it and to keep it. And the Lord God commanded the man saying, of every tree of the garden thou mayest freely eat, but of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, thou shalt not eat of it. For in the day that thou eatest thereof, thou shalt surely die. So man died. Spiritually. And consequently, or the progeny of man. That is why you and I, including our children and our grandchildren, are walking about as covenant breakers. Have you wondered why you don't have to teach a little baby how to be jealous of the other baby when they, they see their toy sitting there? It is encoded. Thirdly, within the framework of redemption you have the covenant of grace so after man fell god now comes and in genesis three fifteen, we read the following i'll put enmity between thee and the woman between thy seed and her seed he shall bruise your head and you shall Bite is healed. Genesis 3.15. That is the first gospel that has ever been preached. The rest of Scripture is a commentary on that verse. From Genesis 3.16 all the way to Revelation 22 the last verse is a commentary on Genesis 3.15. That is why theologians call it the proto-evangelion the first gospel. What is God talking about? That is the covenant of grace. I will put enmity between you and the woman, between her seed and your seed. That word her seed there is, is a singular collective noun. That means the woman and her progeny, all those that will come after her. And in talking about that, specifically is talking about believers between your seed and her seed. He, he now changes from collective noun to a pronoun. He, so the he now is Christ that will come to bring redemption to the collective noun who is the seed of the woman. How did God do that? God began by bringing our attention. To blood covenant. When man sinned, he was hiding, used fig leaves to cover himself. God comes and said, The solution that you are bringing will not help you. He slays an animal and he used the skin to cover him up. That is a picture of imputation. Can I tell you something? In the Bible, Everyone who is ever saved, Old or New Testament, is saved by grace. I know it's true because the Apostle Paul labors the point in Romans 3, Romans 4, Romans 5 to show us that Abraham, as his exhibit A, was justified not by the law, but by faith. So when we talk about redemption, It's all about promise and fulfillment. Those in the old, they look forward to the promise. Whom you can find all the way back in Genesis 3.15. So they look forward to this promise. And those of us who are saved, we look back to the fulfillment. And the culmination is Calvary. So they look forward to the cross and we look back to the cross. And that's how any man is saved. Nobody is ever saved by works. Are we here? There are some major covenants in the Bible. Don't worry, you, you'll get to shout next week when we talk about blood covenant. I just want to use the time to give you an overview. Major covenants in the Bible. We have what we call. The Edenic Covenant, which I have just covered for you briefly. Then there is the covenant that God made with Noah, called the Noahic Covenant. There is the covenant that God made with Abraham, which we call the Abrahamic Covenant. We're going to learn about that next week. If you want to shout, come next week and bring somebody along with you. Just make sure that you bring springs within your shoes because you'll be bouncing like that. Then there is the Sinai covenant or the Mosaic covenant which is the only covenant in the Bible that you can call old. All the rest have grace weaved into them. The Noah covenant does. Abrahamic covenant does. And the next one which is the Davidic covenant also has grace in it. It is only the Sinai covenant covenant or the mosaic covenant we shall look at that as well so when you talk about new covenant and old covenant within the context of biblical covenants you're specifically talking about the covenant that was ratified by christ as the new covenant and the one that was mediated or ratified by moses all the rest noahic abrahamic davidic they all knew Because they point towards the Messiah. I don't know if I'm, I'm making sense to you. Amen? Briefly, I want to talk about altars and covenants. You know, the devil has nothing original. You know that. Nothing. If you come from the African setting, some of these things, the Bible comes alive because you see them on a daily basis. I was going to go there in my village. From since I was a child, I, 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 look, I saw these things, I just did not know what they meant. I suppose you have a village too. When you go to your father's house, you know, there was a time Gideon was asking a question. Where be the miracles of our God? Because you're asking this question. Go to your father's house. The problem is there. There, there are altars there that is not my altar. So you go to your village, you see altars that have been raised with some ugly looking man-made idol. And sometimes you see blood that is poured on it. Have you not seen it before? Don't maybe. Me, I've seen it. If I talk like a Ghanaian, I'll say, see. I've seen it. Ah. <laughs> Menhusa. Mr. Akutu, are you there? I've seen it. I've, my, mehusa, I've seen it plenty. What do you think they are doing? Everybody within that clan that comes under the authority of that deity, you are conscripted into a covenant with that deity. Why do you think some people are born and then incisions are made on their bodies for blood to ooze out? You know, when I was doing my national service in Ghana, I told you I asked for the testimonies with covenants plenty. Let me just give you this one. National service is what you would call youth corps in Nigeria. I was stationed in a particular village where 99.9% are idol worshippers. Every single house had an idol. They are well known in Ghana for being idol worshippers, idolaters. So people don't fool with them. In fact, in Ghana, when somebody, you're fooling with somebody, they say, I'll go to this particular part of the country, they will come and beg you by the next day. That is how much they are associated with idolatry and powers of the dark. I was posted there, and I started a fellowship. I was teaching. I was a science teacher then, and I go to the bush, spend time praying. I started dealing with the altars in the place. I said, young man, with time. All the people whose children were coming to school that were, so on Saturdays we will have a fellowship. People started bringing their idols to come and have a bonfire in that village. Because we have dealt with the powers that control them. And the covenants have been shattered in the name of Jesus. It was so powerful when it was time for me to go back to Accra after my national service. Literally, the chief and the people in that place were running after the car. They said, we cannot let you go. Crying. So we have never seen such a light in this place. It is not because of me, but because of he who is in me. For greater is he who is in you than he that is in power of covenant is made through altars. And the devil copied it from your Bible. Well, if you think I'm lying, Genesis 12:7. And the Lord appeared unto Abraham and said unto, and said, Unto thy seed I give this land. And there builded he what? An altar unto the Lord who had appeared to him. See, it doesn't matter how much the United Nations meet or how many treaties the United States of America try to have between Israel and the Palestinians. The land will never be taken from them. Because you have a land that was secured by covenants and altars. This is what Abraham did. It was, the altar was reinforced by Isaac and also reinforced by Jacob. The same piece of land. They built altars, they prayed to God, and they cut covenants with them. You cannot take it. By two or three witnesses, right? Let me give you another one. Exodus 24, from verse 4 to 8. And Moses wrote all the words of the Lord and rose up early in the morning and builded an altar under the hill and 12 pillars according to the 12 tribes of Israel. And he sent young men of the children of Israel, which offered burnt offerings and sacrificed peace offerings of oxen unto the Lord. And Moses took half of the blood and put it in basins and half of the blood he sprinkled on what? The altar. And he took the book of what? The commandment and read in the audience of the people and said, all that the Lord has said we will do and be obedient. And Moses took the blood and sprinkled it on the people and said, behold, the blood of the covenant, which the Lord have made with you concerning all these words. Covenants are enacted at the place of the altar. When was the last time you serviced your own covenant with God? Do you have an altar? I don't say, I'm not saying go and put physical structures there and put some red. No. Do you have a place of prayer? A place of devotion. This is as much grace as you can get. Did I not tell you? that of all the covenants in the Bible, old and new, it is only the Mosaic covenant that is not related with grace. The Noah covenant is, with the symbol or the token being the rainbow. God says, and it's a Caesarean covenant. As long as the earth remains, I will not destroy the earth by rain or water any longer. Until today, it is holding. It has an element of the blood covenant in it because of time. You know how Noah and his family were saved? When they were in their ark and the judgment of God was upon the people. The turbulence and the boisterousness of the rain and the water. Whenever God looked down, he did not see Noah and his family. He saw Jesus Christ and him crucified. How did I know that? In building the ark, God gave him an instruction. He said, I want you to pit it within and without with peach. That word, peach, if you look at it, go to Strong's and look at it in the Hebrew. It means kapha, K A P H A R. Kapha is the same root word from which you get the word atonement. So whenever God looked down and he saw the earth, peach has a reddish-tan color to it. God saw nothing but the blood. So they will be saved not because of his works, but because of what he has done. The blood of the lamb that was slain from before the foundations of the earth. Hallelujah. So the new covenant which was ratified or mediated by Christ is a better covenant than the Mosaic covenant. It is so because of the mediators involved. The new covenant is mediated by Christ. And the old is mediated by Moses. The writer of the Hebrews in Hebrews chapter 1, from verse number 1 through 4, it said, God, who at sundry times and in diverse manners spake in time past unto the fathers by the prophets, have in this last day spoken to us by his son. Then he begins to bring the distinctions. You want to know who this son is? Who is the brightness of his glory and the express image of his presence? In other words, Moses, who is the mediator of the old covenant, he can never be the express image of his person. He is never the the brightness of his glory. When he has created the words, he sat down at the right hand of majesty on high. He said, not only is Christ better than Moses, he is better than Aaron. Is the high priest because his priesthood is after the order of Melchizedek if you think that Aaron is great because he has a Levitical line of inheritance try Christ because the Levitical high priest before he makes atonement for the people he must make one for himself Christ is so sinless he doesn't have to make an atonement for himself Hallelujah. The Bible records that the tablets or the covenant was given by angels to give to Moses. So there is an angelic element that people want to rope into their uh, mediatorial role in the old covenant. So just in case you're thinking angels are better than Moses, the writer of Hebrews addresses them too. In about verse number four. And being made so much better than the angels. For he has by inheritance had gotten a more excellent name than they. I'm getting ready to shout now. Now it's time. We'll continue from here. So the shouting is next week. Now we have laid the foundation. He is made better than Moses. Better than the angels. Better than Aaron. You talk about a superior and a lesser person. Aaron's priesthood is after the order of the Levites. Listen. A greater person blesses a lesser person. And a lesser person pays tight to a greater person. In conclusion, why is Christ a better mediator? Bible says, for Levi, Levi, the one that you people you like, represented by Aaron, because he's the first high priest, that you pay tithe to him, because he's bigger than you. Levi could not possibly have been bigger than Abraham, because Abraham is way up there. And if Levi is less than Abraham, and Abraham is less than Melchizedek, Then Levi is a small boy. Because Abraham paid tithes to the greater one, who is Melchizedek, after whose order Christ priesthood is. He said, for Levi was still in his father's loins when he paid. So Levi joined Abraham to pay tithes to Melchizedek. I don't know about you, but I'm getting ready and I'm getting excited. My time is gone. Next week, we're going to talk about how God brings a covenant about. Then we'll go into the issue of blood covenant proper. You don't want to miss this. I'm going to show you the reason why David will be so confident when he saw Goliath. That he said, without weapons, I will take this guy on. I'll give you a snippet. He alluded to the Abrahamic covenant. He said, this uncircumcised. I bear a mark of the covenant of God. I am circumcised. And the promises of God must come sure. This man, he has no covenant with God. the Lord bless you.